I said I was getting paid for that. I felt like um, volunteering was a bit of a nerdy, uncool thing to do. Like I had mates, um, you know, hanging out at shops, shoplifting, doing stuff like that. And I was saying I was going to work. It was a bit more, uh, I guess, like I'd have more credibility with them if I said I'm getting paid rather than just voluntary. Hello and welcome back to Hashtag Selfie, the podcast that puts a spotlight onto the amazing work done by young people all around the world. I'm your host, Lizzie Richardson, and today we're heading back to Australia as we are talking to Rhett Barriston. Rhett currently works in a school located inside a maximum security incarceration centre, working primarily with young Indigenous youth. In addition, in 2015, he was the New South Wales Young Achiever of the Year. So it is an absolute honour to have him with us today. I'm a proud Aboriginal person, um, descendant of the Nambar people from far northwest New South Wales, as well as the Mandandangi people, which is um, south central Queensland. Grew up in um, Campbelltown, um, southwestern Sydney. Spent a bit of my childhood in it childhood in a lower socio-economic area and I would say my my upbringing was relatively privileged compared to some of my my friends and and my other family members it, it had its adversity but um you know I think like my life um, you know we all live unique lives but just how my life panned out is you know that that I that's why I do what what I do. Um, yeah, seeing seeing disadvantage, seeing um, stuff like drugs and alcohol um, affect my family as a child. You know, crime stuff like that. How it affected my community and and again my family. Um, that those experiences drove me to get out, work in my community to prevent stuff like that from happening again. And and it, you know how I said my my childhood was pretty unique. I um. I remember like one particular Christmas day ended by having the police called. Next year, the other side of my family um, had taken me to, um, you know, Disneyland. Like one, you know, so, so I seen if, if you work hard, set goals for yourself, you can travel the world, you can do anything you want. Um, you abuse substances like drugs, alcohol, you know, it leads to crime. Crime leads to, um, you know, being incarcerated and, and um, you know, dysfunctional kind of families and, yeah, stuff like that. So that that drove me to, um, you know, wanting want to help other young people. And, and again, I questioned why why do I um, continue to do this? And I know now, I know um, I know that as I, I, as I've grown up, learnt more about my culture. Um, you know that's that's the answer as to why I do this. Um, traditionally, Aboriginal people had an obligation to ensure the survival of their culture, so the next generation could survive. Um, if if our Aboriginal um, young people are 13 times more likely to go to custody in this country than non-Aboriginal youth, culture isn't going to survive. It has for thousands and thousands of years. Um, you know, say so I'm fulfilling my traditional obligations of my people, but in a contemporary form, working in the school I do, which is, I work in um, a school based inside a maximum security detention center. And and I will um, volunteer to, to help 
young people in my community, you know, generally who are at risk and, and I'll advocate um, for those people, um, you know, where I can. Yeah, so, you know, I, I do that because I, I'm, I'm just fulfilling, you know, that's, that's a cultural obligation for me. So you said that you wanted to go into this field of work when you were a teenager. Um, how did you first get involved? What was your first like job or volunteering project? I got a school-based traineeship in the local council. Yeah, at the, so I went to school about three and a half days a week. Um, I'd done a TAFE course that was attached to that traineeship for half a day a week. And then I worked one day at the council. And I, from the start, I said, you know, this is originally it was the job was for it. Yeah, the traineeship was for was to work at a bank. And I told the lad who done me interview, I said, oh, this is what I'm passionate about, blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, how about give the council a go? So, yeah, I, I had an interview with them. So this is what I'm interested in, what I want to do. They said they'll get me into that uh, community section of council, the community arm. But until then, unfortunately, we got no work for you to do. So work at the library. And um, I was like, oh, okay, I'll work there, get paid. But I just kept, um, you know, saying, like, when am I going to go go up that end of council? And it happened for me, and, and it, that exposed me to a whole um, other world. Um, so from there, um, I, I think um, I didn't find it too impressive, but I, I would go to lots of di a variety of meetings in the community, ranging from meetings from, you know, um, the people with disabilities, um, the ageing community, like, uh, you know, senior citizens, Aboriginal community, youth. Um, it was really diverse. And um, like I said, I didn't find it too impressive that I was, you know, working and in year 12 at the same time. But people were, you know, thought I was some type of leader because I was doing that. And I, you know, that kind of confused me. And um, I, I didn't think that was the case. But um, people kept saying that, labelling me that, and um, through that role, I, I gained exposure into, um, yeah, you know, different parts of community, helping kids on school holiday programs. I ended up um, presenting, like I, I shared my personal story um, as part of a cultural awareness program, and and um, that you know, working with the kids and stuff, um, people like there was a need for a young Aboriginal male in my community. Um, you know, who was a, a bit of a good role model um, out there and people, you know, were hitting me up. Can you come do this? And, you know, i done it initially paid and I enjoyed that. And so um, next time the school holidays come around, uh, this particular program was saying, you know, where are you? The kids are asking. And, and um, I was like, well, like I went up during work. Uh, work probably can't pay me to go. But, um, you know, they, there's a need for me. I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. And I remember telling um, my friends, um, even, um, you know, some of my family, I, I said I was getting paid for that. I felt like um, volunteering was a bit of a nerdy, uncool thing to do. Like I had mates, um, you know, hanging out at shops, shoplifting, doing stuff like that. And I was saying I was going to work. It was a bit more uh I guess like I'd have more credibility with them if I said I'm getting paid rather than just voluntary. Yeah, so I was probably 17, 18 then. And um, yeah, it was, went against the norm of what me and my peers done. But um, yeah, like it was 
was fun. I enjoyed it. And, and little things like that, um, I wouldn't be where I am today. Uh, it, yeah, it's really amazing what you've done. Um, and just to the underlying drive of just constantly wanting to work with young people and help your community has always been there. And regardless of what jobs you've done, that underlying value has always been so dominant, I think is really amazing. Because like you said, it must be a very, very challenging job. Uh, what you go through and also having to deal with issues with funding and policy and management restructuring and things like that. And it could be very easy to step out and go into a more stable job. But I really admire what you've done, how you're just consistently pushing at that because you really want to make an impact in the community. Um, so I'm really interested in what some of the current projects that you're working on. So like and the Tina Tags program and also your work with Oxfam. Do you want to talk a little bit about those? Tiana Tag is um it's a Tiana is a durable word and that, that's the um the Aboriginal country that I reside on, um, for tar. Um, star, sorry. Tiana's a word for star. So um all it was was Oztag, young people, um Mainly Aboriginal young people, but it wasn't exclusive. It was open to everyone in the community. Um, coming, playing Oztag, and, you know, kids want to have fun. They want to run around. Um, you know, so we would put a feed on and we'd coordinate this game. Um, and we knew we would get kids because it, it had been happening. And then um, I, I knew um, the resources that my local Aboriginal medical service had. I knew they had... Um, some, they got some really um, effective and, and engaging um, 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 resources, a, pro, a really good program around anti-tobacco. And so I, I spoke to the manager of, of that team and I said, hey, I've got some funds. I'll fund, um, you know, the equipment, the food even. We, we'd make sure it was always a healthy, you know, like fruit and stuff. Um, and I said, all I want you to do is, is bring... Um, you know, have your staff present um, during half time before second half kicks off of, of that football game. You know, you bring out um, an example is um, they have these jars full of tar, and and you know it might be there might be maybe a liter or whatever of tar in that. I can't remember the exact figure, but it's um it's confronting, and that might be how much tar ends up in your lungs. Um, you know, if you smoke a, a pack a day or if you smoke a certain amount for a year, there's another jar, um, you know, full of mucus and that's how much mucus you, you cough up and spit out or whatever uh, due to smoking a month. Those things, they, um, you know, kids look at that and, and straight away, that's, you know, you've, you've serviced that, that child. It's as simple as that. Um, and doing that on a consistent basis. So it was an early intervention um, thing you know we knew what the outcomes were as well as kids are having fun and and another thing probably the part I liked most to that program I had had money to fund some local young people um, to assist by being referees and um, I've always had um, like I think one of the biggest issues affecting youth these days is identity um, you know struggling to, to be who you are and or, you know finding that out and how that can lead to issues and stuff and and I purposely picked out kids, young people, who would be stereotyped as at risk um, in my community to be those referees. And um, again, there's a lot of job readiness courses, you know, around, but 
this was actually job readiness. This young person was getting paid. You know, they're, they're earning a wage in a positive way. They got uh, something to attach to their resume now. And at the same time, these kids, the community I, I live in and uh, have done most of my work in is a close-knit community. And, and we know those kids or, or even the appearance of those young people, you know, you're stereotyped as at risk. And so these these kids, what, what I wanted to do, I wanted these younger children to see what they thought was a was a bad older teenager to to do something good for them like you know challenge that perception of he might look cool and and wear the lad clothes or whatever but he's doing a good thing for me right now and and the other another thing i think i think when you put at-risk youth in leadership roles um you know it, it boosts their self-esteem um and, and it challenges their own perception of themselves and they start to, they, they're allowed to then form a, you know, themselves a new identity. It's such a great initiative and it's just so simple and so easy to put on. It's not some complicated uh, event, but the impact that it has must have had is huge. So I think that was, yeah, really incredible. And just knowing your community and knowing what kids are at risk and, which ones you should help and how you can actually interact properly with your community, which I think only really comes through being a part of your community. Because I know that there are a lot of organisations and charities that go into communities and try and fix various problems, but they just don't understand how that particular community works or what that particular community is facing. Um, So being able to actually be on the inside and do such great work is incredible. Hello, so this is future editing Lizzie who has interrupted the show to tell you about a sponsor for the podcast hashtag selfie. It is the wonderful audible.com. Now, before you all rip your earbuds out because there's an ad on this podcast, please just bear with me for a few minutes and let me explain. I originally didn't want to put ads on this show because quite frankly, it felt really hypocritical to monetize a podcast that interviews people who give everything they have to improving the world and ask for nothing for a turn. It just didn't feel right to make money off this show. But then I had to think and I realized that my reason for making this show is to quite simply try and improve this world. And I realized that I could do that through two ways. The first is through making the podcast itself. And the second is by monetizing the show and then using that money for good. So every single cent of profit made off hashtag selfie is not going to go to me, it's going to go to a charity. I'm going to donate everything. Now I'm going to be really blunt here. I'm six months into a master's of medical biotechnology. I've moved to a different country and quite frankly, the extra income on the side would be very, very helpful right now, but I'm not going to do that because it's not fair and I don't think it's right. Instead, I'm going to give absolutely everything to charity. So the long and the short of it is I've chosen two charities to give the money to. The first is called the Kivia Foundation, which provides small micro loans for families in developing countries so that they can start businesses and then hopefully pull themselves and their family out of poverty. And then, the, then once that money has been returned, because it's a loan, I will then invest all of that money 
into the Parkinson's Australia Foundation. If you want the details behind these two organizations and why I chose them, then please see the show notes and also the website. So in summary, yes, there are going to be ads on the show. I promise you the ad reads won't be as long as this one, but every single profit earned, every single cent is going to go to charity, not to. Okay, so now that we've gotten that out of the way, let me actually tell you about the sponsor of today's show, and that is the wonderful audible.com. So you're listening to a podcast, and I assume that you like listening to podcasts, and if that is the case, then you're probably going to like listening to audiobooks, in which case you need to head to audible.com and download a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial. Audible.com has over 180,000 audiobooks, so there is something for everybody, and some of their narrators are amazing. For example, Stephen Fry narrates Sherlock Holmes. Incredible. However, in keeping with sort of the theme of today's podcast, I would really recommend a book called Gert, The Unauthorised History of Australia, and it's by David Hunt. If you are an Australian, or if you live in Australia, or if you have heard of the country Australia, then you need to get this book. As you can see from the title, it is a history of Australia, but it is it tells Australian history in a way that is absolutely fascinating and engaging. And if you happen to study Australian history at school, then you probably are aware that Australian history is not the most fascinating thing. But this book does a fantastic job of portraying the past. And most importantly, it really explains the relationship between the Indigenous Australians and the white settlers and all the issues there, which is what Rhett was referring to in this interview. No joke, I listened to this book whilst I was in the middle of a six-hour protein purification and actually saved my soul. It is incredible. I would highly recommend it. So to get this audiobook or any other audiobook, all you have to do is go to www.audibletrial.com slash selfie, or the links will be in the show notes, and then sign up for a 30-day free trial and download any free audiobook of your liking. So go ahead, go get a free audiobook at no cost to yourself. And just remember that I'm donating all the money to charity. So with your audiobook, you could potentially, you know, help pull a family out of poverty. That seems like a pretty win-win situation to me. So I wanted to know, what do you think is the most pressing problem facing the youth that you work with? And what do you think that we can all do to address this problem? You know, this like intergenerational trauma is a real thing. I, I hear people say, um, you know, get over what happened in the past to Aboriginal people. It was 200 years ago. Um, like, not all, not all of this dispossession and and um, and and the um, you know the, the non-supportive policies directed towards my people that didn't just occur 220 plus years ago. You know, it was 40. 50 years ago, someone's mother or father, they were affected because they were classed as flora and fauna. So that that definitely stem, you know, that has an effect. And, and part of that, like that whole thing, the whole thing about the past, you know, if it's um that kind of more um, personal effect, if, if relatives or, or mothers or fathers were affected directly, you know, as in being taken forcibly removed through this, the the assimilation policies of the 1900s um, you know that like that 
that has a massive effect um, just as much as the dispossession of our lands um, and, and the breakdown of our culture um, I think you know all that that that's why Aboriginal young people are 13 times more likely to be incarcerated than non-Aboriginal um, non-Aboriginal youth and, and that's why um, you know our life expectancy is is 20 years less and um, you know and and these alarming rates at not being able to finish year 12 and, and unemployment and and all that stuff um, that stuff hasn't been rectified um, and and like I said I you know I hear get over it um, one of my uh, my uncles my great uncle he he um, he's he's done work with the United Nations um, in regards to indigenous peoples and you know across the world and and he um, he said it he said to me he said this country needs to own that you know our past he said Germany has been able to grow as a nation because they owned what occurred in the Holocaust um, you know like I you know one in two people or I don't know I don't know the stats like I'm making up the stats there but uh, well well maybe I'm not you know I guess my experiences are you know either a lot of non-aboriginal people um, don't know and are willing to learn um, you know about our culture um, our past um, you know they're happy and willing to learn but just don't know because you know maybe your parents and and mine you know that stuff wasn't taught in high school um, there are some Aboriginal people who I mean sorry non-Aboriginal people who I think who would rather just not accept that um, who I, I don't know they feel um, you know the fingers being pointed at them but just don't want to you know acknowledge that and I wish it was as easy as just getting over over it and then that you know I, I I do I'm lucky that I work with a lot of non-aboriginal people um, you know who are um, supportive of of our of our rights and you know and, and want to assist in um, the progress progression of our people and 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 share the similar values and and ethics as as Aboriginal people do um, so you know I think we that all that stuff affects Aboriginal youth I think you know when I talk about like that that if that affects why I um, identity is a massive issue amongst Aboriginal youth and I, I think I, I well I know through personal experience um, when I was a youth worker in the community um, during my role at my workplace now if I share my experiences of culture with um, the young people I work with you know they might be classed as the worst kids in the state but for 45 minutes an hour or or however long I have them they'll look like they're the best kids in the state our culture engages um it it, it can be the driver for our young people to to, re, to rehabilitate to um to engage properly and fully in education um to heal from the trauma of the past our culture teaches us um you know what was right and wrong and how to survive so it, it gives us our values and those values are good things like respect things like patience and and and, and observation 
you know, will, a willingness a willingness to learn. You know, they're all good values. They're universal values as well, not not just explicitly Aboriginal. But our old people, my ancestors, that they mastered them, and it's your values that help determine who you are. And um, you know, when I was a, a teenager and that, and I still see it, young people. That's when you're trying to figure out who you are. Um, and I've seen I've seen friends, you know, act like good, you know, yeah, you know, being good, you know, um, the opposite of of doing crime. But then they try to find an identity for themselves, and and it's easier to fit in. Um, like I've seen kids, you know, you would say they're nerds, quiet, shy, reserved kids. Then um, then I've seen kids um, all of a sudden change and become the complete opposite. They're not at school there. They're abusing substances and, and stuff like that, and they end up in custody. Um, you know, so when you know who you are, your identity's strong. And when that identity's strong, you're resilient. And, um, you know, if you're resilient, when Aboriginal youth are resilient, we're better equipped to overcome that deficit, that adversity that we face. Um, you know, our, now, you know, we live in a white world whether we like it or not. There are some there are some Aboriginal people in this country who who could live solely on the teachings of, of their ancestors and their culture. But um you know me, I live in South West Sydney. That's not possible. Um, so we need to learn to walk in two worlds or or where those worlds intersect, we, we need to be able to live in that world. You know, where the white world and the Aboriginal world connect. That was Rhett talking about his work with Indigenous youth and the hardships they still face today. If you would like to support the work that Rhett is doing, then the best thing would be to look into supporting organisations such as the Indigenous Literacy Foundation or Oxfam. You could even look into the events that NADIOC arranges and learn more about the culture and the history of Australia's first people. I found Rhett's story about the Tiana Tags project particularly moving as it is such a simple and easy idea, but it is so effective. Maybe there is a need in your community for a similar project. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Selfie and supporting the show. I would really appreciate it if you could please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes as it helps other people find the show and helps to spread the word about the great work people like Rhett are doing. You can also check out the website, selfiepodcast.org, and follow me on all the usual social media platforms. All the links will be in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to Hashtag Selfie, and I will see you next time where we stay in Australia, but move from young Indigenous Australians to young Australian scientists. It's going to be a good episode.